Thank you so much for being here today. Today we have the pleasure to be speaking with Dustin Cockensparger and Blake Gross, who are part of this amazing DV Creations studio, and they have a very interesting story to tell us about today. They are located in Bellevue, Washington. DV Creation builds AR-powered strategic games that bring players' imaginations into the real world. That sounds super exciting. This is one of the first, actually, episodes that we have focusing AR. So this is an amazing, amazing episode today. They are going to be revealing some secrets about how they have had a lot of success in their own process. And uh, so thank you so much for being here, Blake and Dustin. Please let us know how you guys got started in this amazing field. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having us. Uh, how we got started? I mean, so um, personally, uh, you know, I got interested in AR. Um, I mean, you know, I, do, I always saw these small demos and stuff like 3DS had like these little um, AR demos. But then when I was at uh, Microsoft and right before the HoloLens came out, they showed us internally uh, in the Xbox org uh, what the HoloLens was, which is a uh, Microsoft's AR augmented reality headset. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Um, I went up to the person who was in charge of incubation and I told him, I was like, this is so cool. I want to work on this. Um, anyways, like a, a year later, I ended up uh, in that person's org and I actually got to work on enterprise um, mixed reality applications, eventually becoming a lead uh, and um, uh, engineering lead and, and moving uh, some projects around. And then uh, I wanted to go try it out on my own. So I left my my job about... Two years ago, a little two and a half years ago, uh, to start building, you know, VR and AR games. Wow, that's great. So, how was the like the first type of projects or what type of projects you work um, in AR by that time when you got to study? So we actually started building uh, our first AR game uh, called Table Trenches, uh, which is actually out on the iOS and Android stores, as well as the Unreal headset. Uh, we started building that back in like 2019 as an idea. And we were really trying to figure out, like, what could we do with the current AR technology? Like once we sort of decided, hey, we want to build AR games. We think that's a really cool place to be working in. We looked at like what's out there first. Like we did a survey of the market to see what kind of games exist for AR. And most of what we were seeing was a lot of sort of taking the ideas of flat screen games, you know, things you're already playing and just sort of plopping them out onto a surface, but like not really doing anything to make them really take advantage of what AR was doing at the time, which, you know, a couple of years ago, the, the most impressive thing you could do with AR, like on all the devices was just plane scanning. So like understanding where a flat surface is. Um, and so like, okay, what can we do with that? Um, and so we came up with the idea for table trenches to build sort of a like simple strategy game, but our, our sort of core hook was it needs to like match itself to the player's space correctly so that it feels like it's actually part of your world as you said in our like tagline the big thing that we love about ar as a studio is the sort of blending of realities like taking digital things things from your imagination and putting them into the real world but having them actually mesh together in a realistic way most of what we were seeing was just kind of taking digital things and putting them in the real world with no understanding of how the world actually would interact with them so that was our big core concern 
deep. So we want to make a game where that's that, that actually respects the bounds of your world. Um, so that's where we started building table trenches. We did a lot of prototyping, a lot of idea generation, uh, a lot of like back and forth on exactly how it should work. Um, but ultimately, we landed on a design that was pretty simple in terms of like players set the bounds for their map so that they know where the game's going to take place. And that way, everything, all the little tiny units and the buildings and everything all stay on your table and look like they're moving around on the actual surface. And we were really excited about that. I remember the first time we got uh, the networking demo working uh, between Blake and I as a prototype. And it was all gray box. It was very, very, you know, just look, didn't look anything like the final game, but we had it working with the networking where we could both play together on our individual phones. Um, and like, there was just this moment where everything just clicked. Cause it was like, Oh, I can see what Blake is doing in my actual living room and he can see what I'm doing. And suddenly there's this magical connection happening where we're both, uh, seeing the same game happening on our table at the same time, but in our real space. Um, I always call it like a shared hallucination. It's like this sort of thing that only we can see, but like we can both see it happening at the same time. Uh, that was really powerful. And that kind of carried us all the way through uh, finishing that game and launching it in uh, in 2020 on iOS and Android. And then we worked with the Unreal platform, uh, which makes an AR glasses set uh, for Android devices um, that we, we ported the game to after that. And that, that's been really awesome to have the game working on an actual AR headset as well. Oh, yeah, amazing. That sounds pretty cool. Actually, I was going to ask you, how was that um, moment where you decided to take it to the, to the headset and what challenges you found? Because it was initially, right, in, the, in a phone, like it was in a mobile. How easy or difficult was to move that architecture to um, a device like the headset? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think always in our heads, we want to do stuff with headsets because I've been working with them um, and I was really passionate about them. But we, we actually targeted the phone market because it's a much bigger market. Um, and even today, as we think about building augmented reality experiences, the, the phone market just so massively eclipses the uh, any, any type of headset market. Um, but yeah, we initially were going to build it. For, we had a Magic Leap kit from Magic Leap to actually port the game to. And the week that we were going to do our port, Magic Leap announced they were getting out of the consumer space. Uh, so we were like, well, it doesn't make much sense for us to port this to the Magic Leap anymore. So instead, uh, yeah, we, we ported to the Unreal headset. And there are, um, yeah, in terms of the differences, uh, the main there, there's a couple of things. One is that all the UI paradigm now needs to be world space. You know, we were using a lot of screen space UI in the mobile version, so we had to figure out how does that make sense. The solution we came to as kind of a paradigm for that game is what I, we call um, plane-centered UI, which is you basically put down your play space first, which is the play surface, and then all the UI kind of gravitates around that. And then you do all the nice uh, normal user paradigms of billboarding, so it always faces you, and scaling, so it's the right size in your view for us doing that type of stuff. Uh, the other thing that we noticed very, very quickly was that things that were not perceivable as errors or graphic effects or whatever on mobile were very instantly perceivable in headset. So if a, um, you know, if, if a firing animation looked a little bit off, we never noticed on mobile, but the moment we went into headset, it was super readily apparent. So that was something we had to fix up. We also had to redesign the control interface. That was the other mm -hmm. big one that we, that we worked through. That was a really good exercise in building AR content because for our glasses stuff, you know, back when we were reporting it, they didn't have, 
full hand tracking working. So that wasn't like an option on the table. So we had to redesign, you know, a touch based interface for uh, basically a three off pointer using your phone as a pointer. Um, and luckily that was pretty easy to port, but there was definitely a lot of experimentation we had to do in terms of like, where do you put the AI in the player's view? Like you're suddenly dealing with a lot more, uh, you know, needing to make sure everything is still visible, but also like isn't getting in players' wakes, like attached to their eyeballs or floating in the space or whatever. So I think the control interface was the other big one. And like taking the lessons we learned about putting AR on a phone and then translating that into glasses was a great learning experience and definitely an area that uh, anybody who's going to build something on that definitely should focus on because it's, uh, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. So what platform did you use to build it? Did you use Unity or... Yeah, we use Unity. I mean, almost the entire space is locked to Unity right now. Uh, I think, you know, the other engines aren't supported. Um, you can always kind of do native because everything has to be native at some level, but that doesn't really make much sense for most developers. So are you, like, developers, you use C Sharp, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. That's right. Yes. Oh, wow. And so and so, what happened, or, or at what point... Is that you decide to apply to the programs that Snap has, uh, and how was that? That sounds super exciting. So if you can expand on this, very, very, very exciting to hear. How is that that process takes place, and re- your recommendations for someone who would be just like you guys? You're such an inspiration for many people. So please let us know how how that worked. Yeah, I mean, so after we built Table Trenches, um, and, and you know, after I think magically got out of consumer, there was a bit of a gap between um in and, and the AR market that is that no, no one was really funding consumer projects anymore. Uh you know, Apple and Google were not as focused on AR can AR core they had been at launch. Um the the Nreal was really the only consumer headset, but they're still pretty early market. Um also you know, more limited capabilities than than the the like other uh, headsets and devices had. So uh, we actually started focusing on VR projects for a bit. Um, and then one day, I, I think it was about a year ago, uh, Snap did their SPS conference and they announced the this ghost program. And we had in the back of our minds been thinking about Snapchat because uh, I had seen on Twitter um, this one developer named uh, Aiden. Uh, he had been making games in Snapchat. And I thought that's a really clever idea because one of the things we found while building table trenches is that one of the main obstacles is that users just weren't even familiar with the concept of AR. I think a lot of our users came for application, not expecting it to be an AR application, uh, and then uh, weren't interested in engaging with it because the setup time was much longer than they were used to. Um, so from there, we were like, oh, wow, we, we've had this idea in the back of our minds, which is table trenches in the living room, which is basically what we're currently working on. And we pitched Snap on that as part of the Ghost program, um, which... Uh, right now, by the way, the applications are open for the next round of Ghost Cohort. So if you're listening and you have a AR project, uh, you can get it funded by Snapchat. Um, so I, I recommend everyone apply. But yeah, so we applied to that program. Um, we did a couple interviews with them. And then I, what, when was it, Dustin? Like September or October of last year? September. We got, we got into the program and we started, you know, working full time on this current, um, living room scale AR strategy game we're working on. Wow. Yeah, the process was very much, uh, yeah, like doing, doing several like in-person interviews. We had to make a video and also share like a concept deck and like a, I think we also had a rough game design doc at that time. So, 
Um, there definitely is a fair amount of like preparation you want to do to have your idea ready. Um, and they also yeah. have multiple tracks that they put you in. So they have game stuff. They have like, uh, AR glasses stuff. And so when you're applying, you can, you kind of choose the path you want to be on, um, to customize sort of what, what thing you're trying to pitch them on. Uh, we obviously went for games. So we're building. Yeah. Game. We, we had a really small prototype as well at the time that, that we kind of showed off that I think make it so that they can really understand our vision. That's amazing. And for someone to get actually at least approved in the very first submission, what do you think that are the things that people should be aware of in order to submit something that is enticing enough so, so they can at least go into the next stages? I think for us, something that's always been very important is understanding the current capabilities of the platforms you're developing for. And that's something that we talk about a lot with ourselves is that I think it's very easy, especially in the AR space, to talk about building a product that isn't really even capable today or is so far out that, uh, or, or requires so much technical investment, it's not very feasible. So we always try to pitch projects that we know could happen with the technology available today. So I think that's part of it is nothing we were sh- saying was outlandish. It's just not a lot of people have done it because um, there ha- there, I, I mainly think probably because there hasn't been enough money in the space to do these kind of opportunities. Um, so I think that's step one. I think step two is art really sells. I think we find this over and over and over again, like having a clear piece of concept art. And that's not just for games. If you're building a utility application, having a clear piece of art that one person can look at and see exactly what you're trying to build. It, it's like the old saying, like a, a picture with a thousand words. It's very true. You know, you show that once you can instantly talk about it, exactly what you want to do. And that, that kind of, cuts right through the middle. Uh, I think the other thing, though, to always keep in mind is that um, I, I guess the other thing is target the company that you're talking to. You know, we we were like, we knew what we want. We knew we had we have different levels of uh, for this idea. There was the Snapchat version, which is a little bit more casual because that's where their users at. And then if we thought about we thought about that on uh, different platforms, we would have adapted the idea to that. So um, I'd say you can't be like too uh, wholly with your idea, you, you have to be able to be adaptive to the platform. And then that, that's what they like as well, right? Because what they're looking for in that relationship is that you're helping the platform and they're helping you create this idea. Yes, for sure. It's a mutual, mutual benefit relationship. So what's the difference between a Snapchat Ghost program and the Snap Yellow Accelerator? It's a great, that's a good question. Yeah. So the Ghost program is a project funding program that specifically you pitch a project and then they fund, you know, the project to be built. Um, and they support you from like a developer relations standpoint of helping you answer questions. And like Blake said, give feedback on the platform. And ultimately your goal is to build a product and ship it to market alongside of Snap in whatever way that makes sense. The yellow program is a, is a, a business accelerator. So it is a like structured, I think it's 13 week program, uh, for companies to enter into. And it's all about helping your company get founded. So like you will probably be building a product or are they building a product? Um, that for your company, but the program itself is actually teaching you things about, you know, how to run your company. And we've had people come in and talk about hiring and HR stuff and how to like pitch VCs and do fundraising. And so we have like programming every week. Uh, the program 
founders are both people who've worked in entrepreneurship for a while and like they provide, you know, weekly support. And so it's a very like structured, like 13 week program to kind of kickstart your business or help your business find its next step. Uh, and something that's cool about it is a lot of the businesses are in different stages. We're very early stage, whereas there's some companies that already are more mature and need help getting to that next level. And so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely about like business building versus uh, the ghost program, which is about product. Mm, amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been a very, very great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing so much uh, knowledge. How people can get a hold of you if they want to, you know, like if they want you to build something for them, uh, an AR project or something like that through your studio, how people can get to find you? Uh, yeah, well, Oh, good, good. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, people can always, uh, find us on Twitter, Twitter at, uh, DB. Um, you know, I'm surprised by how much business gets done on Twitter. And then, uh, you know, they can email us at dbcreationstudio at gmail.com. Oh, amazing. And, and anyone who has any questions as well about anything, feel free to message us. Yeah, thank you so much. That sounds absolutely great. And so far, we shared a lot of very, very insightful secrets from DV Creations on how they have been able to move forward with their AR talent and creations. Thank you so much for being here today and uh, see you in the next episode. Yeah, thank you. Except for the next episode.